Welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. And now, here's your host, CEO and co-founder of Scouts, Max Hansen. Welcome back to episode 93 of the Built on Purpose podcast brought to you by Scouts. I'm your host, Max Hansen, the CEO of Scouts, where we find purpose-aligned and performance-proven leaders. Speaking of, today our guest is Alex Kirby. Alex is the CEO of Total Family Management, a company dedicated to improving family dynamics by offering private family coaching services. Through TFM, he aims to enhance communication, emotional intelligence, and overall family life by providing structured workshops and a platform for families to work on the relationships. Alex, welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast. Hey, thanks. Thank you. Great intro. That's like better awesome. than I probably could have said it. <laughs> no problem. I try to make them enough enough so people know who you are, but not enough to spoil the podcast. So you have you know some good nuggets in there. But let's start out. I know uh, we've got a lot of questions. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, you know, your family has a unique focus on the family unit as a whole. What do you think, why do you think the family as an entity is overlooked in our society and what value does prioritizing it bring? I know that's like a very basic question, but I wanted to set it with this, this question here. Yeah. I mean, family is, is really unifying. I think that's the first thing. You know, even if you take groups of people who, uh, can never agree, like, you know, let's just say Republicans and Democrats. If you start from a, a place that is as common as family, they can probably agree that, you know, it's hard to get rest when you have a newborn and teenagers are a pain in the butt and we worry about our parents as they get older. So I think family is like a really unifying topic, but at the same time, it's, it's sort of such a default setting for all of us that I think we sort of breeze past it. And try and try to you know go to something else, and then it it starts to divide from there. Um, but I think as far as like why families maybe getting deprioritized or not getting deprioritized, you know, we just we're all busy, like we're American, you know, capitalists. Like we find purpose in work. Everyone's kind of trying to do their own thing. Maybe you layer on some distraction um, from social media and what's going on with like lack of connection and loneliness in the world. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's easier than it's ever been to be in a room with someone and not speak to them. You know, I heard this in this, there's an amazing book by Gene Twenge. I think it's, uh, it's how you pronounce it. The book's called Generations and it talks about the silence all the way down to Gen Z and then the yet to be named generation. And she talked about when she walked into the class. Uh, she was teaching Gen Z students. There's like 21, 22 kids in the room. They're all on their phones. No one's talking. And then you think about maybe go back like 20 years when the teacher was late for the class, like everyone's like, you know, goofing around or talking or there's little subgroups or whatever. So I think it's just also easier to, to not be connected to people more than ever. Yeah, it's amazing. And you talk about the unify. I know you focused that question a little bit on. Uh, in the United States, but I, my guess is if you asked somebody, you know, in Ukraine, uh, what about family issues, the issues are going to be relatively the same, but the context is so different. So, I mean, that, that, that in itself, that unification of 
family challenges and issues are super unifying is super powerful because it, it spans, you know, across almost every border. I mean, there's probably very few places it doesn't span where people aren't having similar issues with family. Yeah. And then like, even to take that one step further is like, if you think about your country, how much we all love our own countries or the country that you're in, the only real thing that's going to turn you against your country is if your country makes you pick the country over your family. Right. So it's like, it's very unifying in, in lots of different ways, but you know, family, I think for most people, even Trump's country. Yeah. 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 What do you, how do you address, uh, just cause I don't want to forget about it. I was going to write it down and readdress it in a minute, but how do you have families that have run into political issues with each other? Like, you know, Democrat, Republican issues. How, what's the best way to get them unified? Cause I think that there's probably a lot of families out there and, you know, including my own in some cases where it, it's gotten somewhat fixed, but I don't know if it's completely fixed, but just how do you, how do you, what do you suggest to get that back to a unified unit? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't totally know. Um, I, I'll say, you know, we have in my family, there's a lot of teachers and there's also a lot of business people. So like, I think we feel it. I think a lot of families feel that, that there's kind of division. But I would say that the thing that I found to be really useful is if you eliminate the, the parties for a second. And cause like so many people are like you're a liberal or you're a Democrat or you're this or whatever. If you just take off those labels, right? And you're like, let's just talk about a couple of the, you know, specific issues that are important to you maybe important to me, we might have more alignment because like for me in particular, I don't align with either of the political parties. Like I think at various points, I've seen their perspective on both parts. But if you just said like, you know, does one party define you? I, I certainly don't, don't think it does. So if you just make it a little bit more nuanced and be like, all right, I'm, you think I'm liberal or you think I'm conservative? Like, what do you mean? Like, what are you, what are you thinking about when you say that, you know? And if you can have a conversation like that, where it's, you know, probably, hopefully not like alcohol infused at 1115 on Thanksgiving, maybe it's more of a morning kind of conversation. But if you come at it with just like trying to understand and talk about some of the more nuanced things, I think that's a, if, if you want to have that conversation, which I don't know if everyone does, but if you do separating out like those labels, first and say like let's set these aside let's talk about a couple of things that are important to us you might find like a little bit more commonality it's a lot for sharing that i i will uh you know the, the thing that i really want to jump into and i don't want to forget too i know there's there's so much here is uh i was really interested when we first talked about your background and so what i want you to share because i i felt found it actually fascinating on you know the decision to, to kind of go down this path but um, you know, was there a personal experience in your life that sparked the idea for total family management? And then what's the journey been like that, you know, that sparked into a real company? Because I know I, I've seen your prior past and you know what you've done and some of it can be related, some of it's not, but I was super fascinated by like your clarity on that. So if you could share that story, that'd be awesome. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, even though I was at a, a big company, small company, the whole time I was doing professional development. So I think like I've always seen just the, you know, I've appreciated people that wanted to grow. I've certainly seen the growth in myself 
you know, and the power of that. Um, but I was traveling three nights a week through COVID running global sales for a professional development company. I was like a airport lounge VIP, you know, you're in there with your five kids and I just skipped the line business traveler, you know, wink at you, go into the lounge, whatever. And the one that everyone despises, you know, as they're like, why are they serving that guy? Um, so that was me. And then COVID hit and all the travel stopped and I, everything switched to Zoom, just like everyone, right? Like it's like we're on Zoom all the time. And I had really good relationships with a, a lot of my clients. And, you know, not to make my wife works at Hopkins, by the way. So like her COVID experience was much more difficult than mine. Uh, but I think it was difficult for everyone. And, uh, I noticed this pattern starting to emerge and it would go like the, the call would be winding down. It would drift to personal life and someone would say, you know, I'm worried about my daughter or I'm worried about my parents. And the, like the big one for me was I was working with this tech executive who every time we did priorities, strategic direction, like anything we were doing, he was one of the most impressive people I had the opportunity to work with. And he was like, Hey, I just got to tell you, like, I can't focus on anything that you're talking about because I'm getting divorced. So I need to take a break. And all I can, all I can think about is, as we're looking at priorities is like, I don't know priorities for my own life. And, you know, for me, that was kind of the first time that I started to explore this idea of like, should we, are we putting the resources into the wrong part of our life? You know, because most, I know there's a lot of like execs that listen to this, right? And they probably have strategic priorities and they do communication exercises with their team and they have a vision and values and quarterly meetings and all this stuff. And then you go to the personal side of life and you're just kind of, kind of winging it a little bit. And so as I started to explore that idea and the importance of these relationships to so many people, and then, you know, subsequently the health benefits of having really good relationships in your life, it's been, uh, it's been a journey, but I think it started right at that point when, you know, I was a child of divorce. So I think like even subconsciously, you know, divorce was a fear. And when I saw this guy who in a lot of ways I wanted to emulate to say, like, I think I, my priorities are out of whack here. Like for me, it was a little bit of a wake up call and then, a, you know, a chance to, you know, maybe go down a different path. Well, you know, the, speaking of like you, you walked right into this question that I was like kind of unburning as well. So, you know, work life balance, that, that statement, I think is uh, a challenge for most people. And, uh, you know, most because of COVID, most companies have a lot have gone to a fully 100% remote, you know, type of structure. How has that either positively or negatively affected, you know, kind of uh, your ability to put family first? Well, it's a, I mean, it's a good question. I think we're starting to like, we're trying to figure it out. You know, for me, my, my big thing was I didn't really want to travel anymore. You know, I was, my, my wife was pregnant through COVID. We now have two kids. You know, I, I knew I didn't want to travel. I think there's positives and negatives to like the, you know, this conversation. Um, what we're seeing on the, on the employee side of this, we work with mostly wealth firms and family offices, but we do work with some employers. And I think what we're going to see in the coming years is benefits that are much more tailored and customized to the employee 
and the specific needs and what's important to employees, right? It's like, well, Max, you should come work here. We have cold brew. You're like, I don't drink coffee and I want to work at my house, right? <laughs> or, you know, we have really good childcare. Well, I don't have any kids, right? So there's a lot of cool companies that are popping up in the, in the benefit space that are, I think, going to help companies retain these people and then figuring out, you know, who can be remote, who can't. You know, the, the thing we know from motivation for sure, you know, this from having kids is when you remove someone's autonomy, you're not going to get a good product and you're not going to get a good result, right? If your kid decides to clean their room or if you demand they clean their room, you're going to get a different result. If they decide they clean their room, it's going to be creative and they're going to like do their own thing and they're doing it on their own time. If you demand it, maybe everything gets thrown in the closet sort of thing. And so I think companies have a, have some decisions to make. You know, we're a full remote company. So we don't have an office. On um, when I started this company, purchasing a long term office lease was not in my top list of, of things that I wanted to do. And then the people that work for our company, we have amazingly smart coaches around the US in, in our like employee team, people in Florida, North Carolina. They have families and kids and they're really smart and reliable. And I would just rather have the best CTO that I can possibly humanly find. And I think he is, by the way, but he's in Florida. So I could take him or I could look for a CTO that's like within 10 miles of Towson, Maryland, too. That's another option if that's important to me as an employer. But I think that there's going to be some like cool evolutions to that. Um, but I, I'll just end with for employees. Your flexibility is directly co- correlated to your reliability. If you're reliable, people are going to give you a very, very long leash. If you, you show up on every meeting, you're supposed to be there. You hit the deadlines you're supposed to hit. You have great work product. You know, you're supporting your teammates. You're engaged. I, I think most employers are willing to give that person, um, uh, as much autonomy as they need to be a creative, smart person. But if I can't rely on you, then it just like makes me want to, you know, put more restrictions on you, I guess. Yeah, no, that, that, uh, that makes a ton of sense. I'm actually taking notes because there's something that reminded <laughs> me of, uh, to, to talk about. And we talk about this obviously in the business world all the time. And a lot of our clients are remote and, um, you know, and I'm always fascinated by, you know, because I have such older kids and then a, a five year old, as we kind of started to talk about in our prior call. It fascinates me, like the difference, the difference in the amount of time. So for me, it's all positive too. Like I, you know, I got to see my daughter grow up. I probably got to see her literally probably 50% more of the time because of COVID is, you know, bad as like you know, it was for some people in some ways that it, it helped from, from that aspect. But in some ways, I don't even know if I appreciate it as much because I already forgot what the old way is like. But I, right. I, I'm not going back to the old way. And we want, you know, you got to hire the right people, make sure they're reliable, give them flexibility. But I think the thing that, and I want to see how this maybe relates to, you know, some things that you deal with on the family side is when we truly ask and, you know, for input from our team, they love flexibility. They do not want that to go away to your point. But they also yearn connectivity too. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that's, you know, important. And I think that's, you know, going to play in. So that, that's kind of our pain point. But what would you say is the most common pain point families come to you looking to solve? 
the just on the employ on the employee employer side, the one that I I struggle with the most in remote. I'm probably as like pro remote as you can get, but the development of young people, you know, I I think that's a that is a challenge, and I saw so much benefit from being young in my career, getting invited to lunch by some older colleagues and, you know, just like having a business meal or, you know, someone inviting you to have a cup of coffee or just like, so I think the development of the young people is a challenge. The thing that I wonder if companies start to do is like pool resources kind of thing, because the development that we're talking about with young people is much like it's, they talk about, you know, like, learning how to just like be in person and and general business presence and communication skills. Like these are all general skills. So all the technology companies in San Francisco could be like, uh, on Wednesdays, we're just going to put all of our young people in this like young person incubator and like do general leadership and communication skills. So like I could see something like that kind of happening. But for the most part, like, I think that's the biggest challenge that we see from employers is like, how do we continue to develop our young people? Um, even like we want smart people in our company, but if you're, if your mom is handing you uh, a ham sandwich, you know, every day at lunch, cause you're working in your childhood bedroom, it might stunt your growth a little bit. I, you know, I don't know, but it, I feel like it could. Um, and then on the, on the family side, you know, it's broadly communication. It's very, very hard for families to, to talk about many, many things. In the wealth space, a lot of times it's zeroed in on money, you know, like whether it's like inheritance or large sums of money or estate plans. But when you drill down a little bit deeper, you're like, well, all right, I understand, you know, you're talking about a large chunk of change here. That's a tough topic. You know, how do you talk about Thanksgiving? Like, how do you figure out Thanksgiving plans? And they're like, oh, Thanksgiving's a, you know, dumpster fire. And it's like, all right. So it isn't money specific, right? It's really like everything, you know, and, and communication with any type of team. We just view family as a team. Communication with any type of team does not flip overnight. It's just like incrementally improving. So I think, you know, most families that want to work on social fitness or use family coaching, they actually don't have anything wrong with them. This isn't a, clinical environment where you're, you know, we're diagnosing something or, you know, we're trying to solve a specific problem. I think most times families are like, we feel, you know, good. We all love each other. We're in a good place, but like, we just want to work on it a little bit. We just want to make sure we stay there. We just want to make sure that we can continue to talk about hard topics and, and enjoy this time that we have together. Um, and people, I saw this like, it just kind of blew my mind when I saw it. But in 1900, people, the average age that people lived to in the US was 47. Right. And so as like, you can't have that much issues with someone if, <laughs> if everyone's going down to 47. Right. And so like, as people are living longer, were parents longer? Were grandparents longer? You know, these relationships have like a longer time to, I think, like flourish, but also, you know, potentially have strain on them too. Gosh, yeah, that's uh, very interesting. And by the way, we tell our kids, uh, I'm 48, but I, I feel like I'm, regardless, maybe if I didn't have this beard, I wouldn't look as old. But 
we're pretty young. Like we, we prioritize fitness. That's a right. very, like we prioritize fitness and the, the when the why is because I want to be around. Like I want to, you know, I, I want to have a long lifespan, but I also want to be able to enjoy it as well. So that's a long priority. But that, that's also why we always, we tell our kids too, like, it's going to be a long time before we die. And so just yeah. keep that in mind, which is good because we're going to spend a lot of time with you, but it's also, you're going to have to go out and figure out how to build your own life because the inheritance probably is coming for a while, for <laughs> a long time. Yeah. That was like the exact conversation, you know, that you're, you know, that you're talking about. It's interesting on um, just the prioritization of health. There's this guy, Jay Hughes. He's brilliant. He released this thing in 1997. It doesn't, it like not enough people have seen it, but it's called the five forms of family capital. And only one of them is financial and it's spiritual, intellectual, social, and human. And all of these, like, like Jay's main thing is these are investments. Like the way that you're talking about your health, you're investing in your health. It has a return. You're going to be, you're going to feel better. You're going to live longer. You're going to be able to walk around and do things like that's a massive return. So we've seen families like patriarch and matriarch of a family, uh, grandparents like buy gym memberships or, or fitness things for all of their grandkids. So that to, to that family, to that end, they're investing in the health of their family. It's not a true investment in the sense of like, you know, they're buying them a, like my grandma, like used to buy me like those bonds, like the hundred dollar, you know, like, bond. like that's like, like what they think about with investment. But in actuality, like one way of investing in your kids could be like, Hey, any, any orange theory class you want to do or whatever your class of choice is, we'll pay for that. As long as you're going, we're good on that. And so I think that people are starting to think about these investments in a broader sense, like Jay released this in 1997. So pretty far ahead of his time, you know, um, but really on point with, I think, like where the world is going today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think I'm preaching the choir, but I think fitness has got to be up there, you know, with, with most, because without your health, you know, I don't care how much money you have. The one thing you wish you had when you're sick is that one thing of being healthy, uh, no oh. matter how much money you have. So I, I can only imagine. So does that come up a lot in like when you're figuring out like what's most important, you know, in, in these conversations to families, what percentage of the time, or just give me an idea, like how often is health and fitness coming up? I would say, uh, I mean, health is a broader term now. So when they say, you know, physical health probably comes up less than mental. Mm. There's There's been enough written about the mental health crisis in this country particularly with Gen Z and, you know, the onset of this technology and increased rates of self-harm and suicide. And, you know, the, the, um, Surgeon General did a report on loneliness. Like the Surgeon General, who's supposed to be in charge of heart disease and cancer and dementia took time out of their busy schedule to write about loneliness. Like that's crazy. So I think the idea of health is much broader, but we, we probably hear more concerns about like my, my kids seem lonely. They're struggling. You know, it's, it's, it's not as much physical. Uh, although I do think technology has also made it easier for us to just stay inside too. 
you know, and be, and be less physical. But you, just like we talked about social fitness a little bit, you and I, before we started and physical fitness, like you have to make active decisions to do it. We're not, uh, we're not farmers. So you and I aren't there tilling our land or like we, you know, are getting our workout just in our, our day to day. It would be very easy for you as a CEO and a host to just sit in that chair all day. Right. But like you found benefits from, you know, probably increased energy, just feeling better, like looking better, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but we probably hear more about mental than physical. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Uh, and, you know, well, uh, agree. Like I see it across the board and, and all the work with leaders that we're doing in, in hiring and, and in our own company. Um, you know, speaking of family, so we, we've, we've used the term family quite a bit. And I think what's interesting is I, I am in a blended family, yeah. up in a blended family. Um, and there are so many perspectives on what constitutes, you know, family today. How do you approach being inclusive of the diverse family structures that exist? Because I mean, it, it can get complicated. Anybody that's in a, uh, you know, in a blended family. It's funny. I, I connect with them right away. I'm like, I tell yeah. them, this they're like, oh, I get it. And it's almost like they get it. It can be messy, but it's also very beautiful in some ways too. But, you know, kind of, kind of talk about like that approach, you know, because the families are, you know, family to me, a lot of things. And like, it doesn't just mean brother and sister and, you know, real mom, real dad in this day and age. Yeah, I'm technically, I'm an only child with 10 step and half siblings. Mm. So even when we were like building our software, my joke was always like, if, if I can like get my own family in here somehow, it's probably going to work, you know, multiple divorces and stepkids and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But our simple answer to that is family, however you define it. You know, we're like there, as you said, blended family. There's so many different versions of family and, and, you know, to some people who don't have a family in the traditional sense, they might have a family that they found in, a friend or a person or, you know, a community or whatever. So it's really to us, it's family, however you define it. And then we work, you know, on a household specific basis. So, you know, many of our clients do have kids and they're like multi-generational, but a lot of our clients are just single adults too. So like family to them right now is like, is like them. And when they were talking about their family, it's more of like an extended thing and they're more focused on their themselves in that sense and their own relationships. But Family, however you define it, is our simple answer to that. Got it. Yeah, it, it makes sense. So we, we, you also, we talk about, and I love the, uh, you know, I kind of looked at, I think it was a post that you had or something. Maybe it's a, it's also on your website, but it, talking about social fitness and which I love the term, uh, you know, just understanding physical fitness and kind of, you know, using kind of that, the term and putting social in there. You know, you talk about uh, strong communication is you know crucial for any relationship. You know, what communication strategies do you encourage families to work that you implement? Social fitness is um, probably not a term that enough people have seen yet, but it's not ours. It came from the Harvard study of adult development. It's the longest running study on human happiness. It's still going. Uh, sometimes it's just referred to as the Harvard happiness study. And the, like the big profound takeaway after 85 years was good relationships keep us happier and healthier. That's what they found. And I think that's pretty amazing when you think about like, you're like, Oh man, 85 years, we're going to uncover the secret to life. It's like, it's relationships. 
It's the, it's the people. Um, I would say the, the biggest tip that we have for families is to focus on small incremental improvement over a long period of time. I, I think there's a lot of, um, like in this, in the wealth space, a lot of people talk about family meetings, right? So it's like, you don't talk to your family for a year and then you all get together for six hours and like try to hash it out. I don't know if that's the best way to do it. It might work for some families, but I think taking pressure off, they're like, Oh, we only see each other on Thanksgiving. You, that's a man. That's a lot of pressure on Thanksgiving, right? So if there's relationships that are important to you, being proactive and just like picking up the phone, picking up the phone. I know that's foreign to some, but when you call someone and just say, Hey, I was just thinking about you. I want to say hello. Calling someone for that reason alone is really, really powerful. And I think that those little small touch points are like how you keep the relationships into a good place. Because it's very, have you ever, um, like when you catch up, when you see an old friend that you haven't seen in a long time, right? And you like grab dinner, they're in town. You're like, we're grabbing dinner. One of my best friends lives in Texas. He has three kids. Very busy. I have two kids. We're busy. And so when we get together, we end up like catching up for the dinner. It's like, well, t- give me the rundown of the last, you know, since I saw you. And then like the check comes and we're caught up. But like we can't go forward on the relate. Like we can't get into the day to day of, Hey, I'm struggling or Hey, like this happened or Hey, whatever, because we, haven't had those like little touch points along the way. So I would say for any, I would say two things. One, this is from the study too. It's never too late. It's never too late. People view relationships, I think sometimes as set in stone. Like I don't have a good relationship with my kids or I don't talk to my brother. Like it's a, like it's your height, you know, like I'm six foot. But relationships are living systems. It's they, they use the term social fitness because it's like muscles. If you don't use a muscle, it's going to get weaker. If you exercise a muscle, it's going to get stronger. And these are true of our relationships too. So it's never too late. It's You have to be brave for a second to reach out to someone that you haven't heard from in a long time or, or, or whatever and just say, hey, I was just thinking about you. Like, But that is received you know, 99.9% of the time. Someone's going to be like, dude, I was just thinking about you like two weeks ago, Max. I was just telling someone about when we did this. I'm so happy you called. Like, that's what you'll hear. So one, it's never too late. And then don't put so much pressure on like one event or like the family reunion or Thanksgiving or whatever. Just focus on small incremental relationship improvements over time, like just grabbing a cup of coffee or seeing each other on a Sunday or doing whatever. And you're going to look back just like any big improvements we make in our life. You're going to look back in 10 years and be like, Oh my God, like, I can't believe how far we've come. That's so cool. But in the moment, it's just kind of, you don't always see it, but small incremental improvements and it's never too late. Man. I love that. You know, one of the, this might be just head trash that I have. So you can totally call me out on it because I'm wanting to get better, you know, in these areas. Yeah, and I think everybody that listens listens to this show, I mean, I think that's their intent. 
But one thing that is a pet peeve of mine that is a real big turnoff for me is when I do put the effort out to reach out to somebody or I haven't seen somebody for a long, let's say I run into them and their first response is to put pressure on me to ask me why I haven't reached out to them sooner. Yeah. And that's like, to me, I actually, I tell people flat out now, if if like, that's one of my things, if you're going to stress me out about me not, you know, make reaching out instead of focusing on when we see each other, I kind of used, I have been using that as like, maybe this isn't like, I can reach out to other people, you know, and spend time with other people versus this person that's going to make me feel guilty about not reaching out sooner. I, I'm sure everyone feels what you're saying. Right now, it's very hard when you talk, when you're like, you call someone and they're like, well, nice to hear from you, Mr. You know, it's like, it's a, it's a little bit of what you're saying. Um, I think the lesson in there for anyone who maybe is potentially doing that to someone is don't keep score. Don't keep score. You know, like no one wants to call and feel guilt tripped. We sometimes see this with parents and adult children who are like trying to guilt them into something. It isn't always parents. It can be siblings. It can be really anyone, but no one really responds to that. You know, like no one really responds to like the way to think about it. I think is you're trying to get people to come to a party, right? Like, like you, if you're like, will you please, like you never come to my parties, Max, like, come on, like, just like you didn't come to the last four parties I had. It's like, it doesn't sound like your party is that fun. I got to be honest, right? But if you're like, hey, Max, like, whether or not you come, that's cool. We do have a bouncy house and uh, and a dunk booth and all the, you know, beer and weed is free. But whatever, like, whatever you, like, I know how busy you are. Like, if you want to swing by, like, that's cool. Like, I think people respond to that. And also the people that I've stayed connected with in my life, in the same vein, like when we, when we get on the phone, we know we're only going to have 12 minutes to talk after we dropped off the kids and before work starts or whatever. We don't spend any time keeping score and worrying about all that stuff. It's just like, dude, how you been? Tell me what you're excited about. Tell me what's going on and like, just keep it positive because people, I think, want to be surrounded by that positivity. Um, so you, we can't fix everyone that's like that, but I tend to do the same thing. When people make me feel like that, it makes me actually want to pull away. So it does the opposite of what they think it's doing. And I just want to call my friend who just is like happy to talk to me about, you know, basketball or whatever the heck we're going to catch up about. Yeah, hundred percent. And by the way, I'm a huge fan of Robert Waldinger's work in the study that you're talking about. I watched that TED talk, you know, years ago when it was relatively new and it always struck a chord with me. Like, I mean, that was something that always struck a chord. And for me, what stood out the most was, um, you know, just the study was, you know, trying to figure out if, you know, people with a better education or, uh, you know, any better position were different than the others. And the thing that fascinates me is like, it, it, it didn't matter. Like that it came down to interactions and, and relationships and, uh, I have as much, I have gone to the extent over the years, this was even before he wrote his book, I just started testing it. I've come to the conclusion that if I only have 15, 20 minutes with somebody and I have to interview them and I have to tell, like if it was for, you know, let's say it's for you to work at your office and they really need to be somebody that cares about this, this topic per se, I would ask them flat out, tell me who your strongest personal pro professional relationships are. 
Tell me what great interactions look like because then they have to name them, yeah. which is a lot harder thing to do. And then you get on the personal side and what, has, what's, what really surprised me is it actually gets harder for people from, what, from my experience in asking these questions on the personal side. And that is surprising to me because you could literally make up anybody on the personal side, literally, like you could fictitiously right. make them up. But for some reason, people, I, would, I used to ask for five and people couldn't do five. I mean, it was, and these are senior level execs. So that was, it was really hard. But so anyway, I would, you know, ask. And for me, I got a lot of really good information. Now, if you're an HR person out there, I don't know if this is a legal way question. So I'm just using my instincts on the best way to read people and really understand who they are. And for me, it was leveraging kind of that, you know, that t- at the time TED Talk and now that study about like, if that matters most, how people have been able to manage their relationships and interactions really matters a lot and is going to matter if you want them to spend time in your organization or perform in any role. So just something I, I share with you because I know we'll you know, kind of bounce in and out of that. But that's been eye-opening when, I, when we ask those questions. When you talk to people about like who are important in their life, some people are so caught off guard by the question. You know, where and because of the line of work that we're in, I'll often be like, tell me about like, you know, like, are you a, a dad or are you a, a child or like, tell me about the important people. And sometimes they're like, what, like, what's your deal? Like, what's your problem? And then once you get down, like, I feel like that's when you can see the essence of people is when you get them to talk about those really important relationships in their life. Because like your kid or your sibling, like, doesn't care if you're the CEO of whatever, like they, like they literally don't care. They just know you for who you are and they knew you way before you were anyone kind of thing. Uh, I told you I spoke in Chicago last week and one of our exercises at the start was I had people take out their phone and show the person, the people at their table, a picture of someone who's important to them in their lives. And, you know, it's like a, it's a wealth conference. So there's like a state attorneys and it's a lot of like money talk and stuff like that. But when you saw, when people took out their phone and started showing pictures of their kids and their dogs and their parents and their siblings and like the things in life that they are proud of, you could actually feel the, I was in front of the room. I could feel the energy like pick up into the room to the point where when we got back like into the talk, it was actually easier for me to speak to the room because they had so much like positive energy after just like showing, Hey, this is my daughter. She just got accepted to you know, whatever, like, it's so amazing. Or like, we traveled here to see like, people just talk about it in a different way. Uh, when you get them talking about that stuff. So I think it's good to connect with people like that on an interview level, but also don't know uh, what HR is. <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. That's why I kind of preface it with that. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, one thing, this may be a little bit like off the path, but but for what we do, um. You know, we're a purpose-based leadership search firm. So, you know, we have always attracted values and purpose-based companies. And what that means, though, to most people is like, I started thinking, because we've been doing this since 2012, that was when we kind of put our flag in the ground. I started to almost feel a little weird by judging, like, who's more purpose-driven than other people? Because it got to that point, it was, oh, yeah, we only work with purpose-driven individuals. So keep in mind, like we've been trying to crack this nut for many years. I think everybody, my opinion is about 2015, most leaders and most companies agree that purpose is going to matter for these younger generations. Like they're not just going to go to work to go to work. But that said, so for 
founders, and this might be not a you know right down the middle question you normally get, but I feel like given the work that you've done, you might have a you know really good some good insights of this. But for founders who want to build an or, build an organization's uh, organization with purpose, what advice do you have on them identifying their north star? Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing is is north star, right? I think there's a lot of wishy washy terms that confuse people where they're like, well, it's mission. No, that's vision. No, that's purpose. No. So it's like, what does it all mean? So if you, if you can actually define it, I think that's helpful. The one that we use for families that we adopted from Jim Collins is vision equals purpose plus values plus he calls it mission. We call it shared goals. So when we talk to a family about a family vision, what we sort of found that people just threw out this term family vision, but it didn't really mean anything. It's like, well, what does a vision look like? They're like, uh, you know, it's like, you know, it's like they didn't have a great answer, but when you define it, then you can kind of break it down. So I think purpose, as you say, is North Star. And if your, your purpose, if you do it right, you never really have to deviate from it. It can kind of just be a question that you ask yourself to make sure that you're not going in the wrong direction. For us, our purpose is to show up and help families. That's our, that's our simple purpose statement. Also, sometimes the purpose statement can be a why, you know, the start with why. I think those are one and the same, but show up and help families. So if we're thinking about a new product or doing something or rolling something out or whatever, you know, our first checkpoint is is this going to allow us to show up and help families, right? And if it violates that, then it's like, it's pretty much off the table, right? It's like there has to be either our purpose needs to change or this is not the right move for us. So I think thinking about it as a North Star, and I would say both to values and to purpose, the, the best thing that we've seen is like, get it on paper, write it down, and then like, let it, sit for a little bit. You know, like if you're trying to write a book or something, you're like, oh man, this I got this amazing book idea. It's just like so big. It's going to be so unbelievable. It's like, can I read it? It's like, I haven't started writing it yet. It's too big. It's like the thoughts too big kind of thing. It's like, write one page. So for both for family purpose and for family values, like when we do the values exercise, it's like, all right, you got, now we got to five family values. Let's Let's like go back to them in six months and make sure that they still sit with us. At the very least, we did the good work of eliminating, you know, 95% of the universe of values. And now we're trying to pick between like seven or eight words instead of like the entire dictionary. And I think that's true of purpose is that like get it down on paper, make sure that it's broad enough and inspirational enough that it doesn't have to shift because really your purpose like your reason for existing, your why, it really shouldn't shift. And the other thing that's really cool for families, if you get your purpose right, it gives people the flexibility to enact that purpose in lots of different ways. So the one that my wife and I decided on for for us is to leave it better than you found it. That's our family purpose statement. And I think you can, she works at Johns Hopkins. I'm, I am an entrepreneur. Our kids could be, you know, doctors, educators. Uh, they could have a landscaping company. 
they can, there's a million different ways to live out that purpose of, of leave it better than you found it. And I think for companies, the same thing holds true. Like we know we want to show up and help families, but we don't totally know like a decade from now what that's going to look like. Like we don't know if they're going to need more software and more humans or more what, you know, whatever. But as long as it still, um, doesn't violate our purpose and we still feel like we're going in that direction, then, then you're, you're okay. So if it's broad and inspirational and big picture enough, then you can have the flexibility inside of it to, to make changes. If like your purpose is to like, I don't know, like I, I, I don't know, a bad example for like to, you know, build or to make the best tires out there or something. And it, like, that's an issue if we start having flying cars and we don't need tires. It's like, wow, like we don't, we can't even fulfill this purpose anymore. So if it's broader and more general and more inspirational, um, and it's something that people can rally behind, then I think you're going to, you know, feel better about having something like that, like up on your site or, you know, constantly referencing it too. Yeah, when it when it comes to that, you know, we've been at this for a long time. Uh, you know, within the being a purpose based leadership search firm, do you have uh, in your process? Do you have people identify what their personal purpose is before they you know try to generate a family purpose, or is do you usually say, hey, let's generate everybody generate their version of their family purpose, and then let's see where we can kind of come together on it. The way we sort of get to it is like if you can get a fan, and that and again, this is household purpose. You know, like not every family is going to be intergenerationally totally aligned. Um, but if you just think about it for your own household, um, the way we get to that is through shared goals. So if we have the purpose for the family, so show up, uh, leave it better than you found it in our case. And then you have your values, you know, for my wife and I, kindness, presence, responsibility. If you have the values, then you can move on to shared goals. Which could be, you know, professional goals. They could be, um, you know, personal goals like related to health. I, I think there's probably room for it in there. Uh, ultimately, if we can, if we get people like having these kind of conversations, we are not the type of teacher that is like, acts this falls out of the exact framework. It's like, it's so good that you're thinking about this stuff in this way. And there's like a Freakonomics episode where they revisited uh, this study of like which books were the best books for parents to read to raise their kids. And all they found was that if you cared enough to read any parenting books, you're going to do a good job. That's it. And so I feel like for us, it's the same way. Like if you're here and you're willing to show up and talk about your family in this way, like you are going to be just fine. And we don't have to worry about like, if you have three values or four values or what's this, like, you know, you're going to, you're doing great work. And if, if you want to tweak it a little bit, so it works better for you, like more power to you. Yeah. I love what you guys are doing to kind of support that and get more details, you know, for our uh, listeners. Talk about what are some key milestones or aha moments you guide families through in reaching, you know, through reaching in your coaching? Like what are, what are some common things that, their aha moments for them. Yeah. So we do eight workshops in the first year, in the first 12 months. These are 90 minute private virtual workshops with their coach. 
And then after that, it's kind of up to the family. Most families will do two to four a year workshops sort of based on what's important to them. But the first eight are the same for everyone. Um, so I feel like the first aha moment that we see from families is in our roles workshop where you talk about the top roles in your life. You know, very commonly, these are going to be spouse, uh, parent, child, sibling, friend, professional, or whatever. And not everyone totally knows what their spouse is going to pick. Sometimes they're a little caught off guard when they're like, oh, that's really interesting. I didn't think you'd have sibling that high sort of thing. And then when you talk about what success means in those roles, that's really when you get to like a really cool moment between the two people because it's a weird question. Like, I'm not going to put you on the spot. So I'm, I'm not asking you this question, but so it's rhetorical in the sense. But when, when you say, uh, how do you define being a good dad? If you don't know the answer, then your, your spouse definitely doesn't know the answer. Right. And then when you talk about it and you start to think about some of that kind of stuff and you're like, you know, for me, it's like, I want to make sure I read our daughter like stories every night. Cause like, you know, my parents weren't able to do that for me. And like, that's just a moment where I connect with her. And if I have that, I feel like I'm doing like, that's really important to me. Like your spouse would be like, I had no clue, no clue that that was like so important to you. But now she like, one knows it's important to you and two can like, su- like support you in, in doing that, you know, like can now she knows this is important to you. So she can like, be aware of that and help you get there and then vice versa. Um, uh, so I think that's, that's certainly one aha moment. Um, we have another workshop about social fitness, about the relationships in our lives. And, you know, we start with the mostly like the immediate household, like the people you're surrounded by the most. But then when you go out to the exterior, like friendships, um, you know, we've seen the loneliness ap- epidemic did not surprised me when it came out based that that study from the Surgeon General based on the anecdotal stuff that we saw. Because if you there's a lot of people that don't have, you know, those meaningful relationships in their life. And in that book, in The Good Life, you know, one of the things they tell people to do is to take inventory of your relationships. Not in a way of like, how many friends do I have? But like, am I getting the support that I need? Am I giving the support that I need? We monitor our web banking, like our weight. We monitor everything in our lives, but these relationships are so important to us that thinking, you know, setting aside some time once a year to be like, are the right people in my life? You know, am I, do I feel good about all my relationships? Am I feeling a little disconnected? From people, have I lost friends? Like we've had a lot of, we have a lot of young moms that, that like throw themselves into the role of mom, which a lot of moms do. And and it's like, I think that's entirely normal. But I think also what happens when they do that is they lose a lot of like those other relationships, not because they did anything wrong. It's just like, you know, you lose touch with people or whatever. And then when you sort of think about it, you're like, man, I missed that person. Like they were a really, they were a really great source of positivity in my life or, or whatever. So that's probably a second aha moment, but there's a number, you know, there's a number of them along the way in the, 
in the first year because I just don't think like people are having the kind of conversations um, that, I mean, how often do you have a 90 minute conversation with your spouse that's uninterrupted, right? That's not like a regular Tuesday night for most married people. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That doesn't happen very often. You know, one thing, I, this is maybe a little nuance uh, and maybe is a little self-serving, but hopefully there's somebody out there that's thinking the same thing. When you ask specifically about like, okay, let's go back to the role. Like what type of dad do you want to be? You know, that, that like landed me. I, I think it's better. I think you should, when you're on somebody's podcast, I think you should just make them answer questions like that. <laughs> Sorry to catch you off guard, but I'm going to ask you this question. When it comes to how people answer, um, what percent, like, I got like, I'll say percentage, but I don't mean like, give me a strict percentage, but just give me kind of like typically how people answer. Cause you've seen this more times than anybody else. That's probably, or most people, unless they're doing the same type of work. What, what percentage of a, like, let's use that percentage of like, what type of dad is based off of what their parents actually gave them or what their parent, mm. what they didn't get from their parents. Cause that's what you alluded to. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, I think everybody takes pride in kind of what they didn't get. Maybe over, they overemphasize that in some ways, I think, but I want to know because you know, uh, like, is it a balance or like, how does, how do, what do you see? I'm, uh, I'm going to pull the psychology alarm. I'm not a psychologist. We're always trying to look forward. We're not trying to look back. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, but I'll say that most, the most common answer to that is like, I have no idea. Like, what are you, like, what are you talking about? Like, how do I define a dad? I don't know. And our, and I think that's really where our coaches do an amazing job of helping people discover this type of, like an answer to this type of question. Because, you know, to, to that specifically, you could say like, um, if you, if you said, I don't know, I don't know. Well, when you think about some actions that you associate with being a good dad, you know, what do you think about? Maybe you say reading to my daughter or driving her to daycare or to school or, um, not having my phone, you know, not scrolling through my phone when her and I are sitting on the couch together. Like those are actions or it could be like a mindset, you know, like, um, I want to be really present as a dad. That's like, like, that's something that like I really strive to be is to be like a very present person to the people in my life. And so if you can't sort of get to like the specific actions, which I think that's easier for some people. So for others, it might be easier to have like a mindset of like, I just want to be like really caring as a parent or I want to be really patient as a parent or encouraging or, you know, stuff like that. So I think our coaches do a good job of like helping people self discover it, but I don't know like what the psychologist would say about like, you know, how we grow up affects like what we're trying to, to do. I, I'll, I'll answer from the business world, um, of, of development. You know, we only have one set of parents, so it's a little more complicated, but we have tons of bosses in our life, tons of managers. And I've always been like, what don't I want to take from this person? And what do I want to take from this person? And some people it's like, you find a whole lot of don't kind of thing. You're like, man, I'm not going to do any of the stuff that I saw from this person or the way that they did this one thing, like it's going to inspire how I want to be as a leader. 
to like my people or to my family or whatever. So I think like I would, I'm more comfortable answering about bosses and managers than I am about like, you know, what, how we grew up uh, affects how we want to parent. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that the uh, topic of presence uh, comes up a lot, you know, in, in a lot of like see other CEOs that I have conversations with. I think everybody wants to be more present. And um, recently I took a shot at it. I'm like, I'm going to be more present with my five-year-old. This is pretty getting pretty vulnerable, but I think I've shared this with a few people already. Uh, but hopefully it will land with other people because I literally thought at the time I was being more present. So I put my phone away. Like, yeah, I'm going to be my phone. I sit down with my five-year-old daughter, just her and I eating dinner and we're eating and uh, she's like sitting there and she just starts like giggling at me. I'm like, what's so funny? Her name's Ro. We call her Monroe. So we call her Ro. I'm like, what's so funny, Ro? She goes, why do you eat so fast? I was like, oh my gosh. She's like, I mean, my whole point was to focus on her and I was, I was dead focused on her, but I was eating fast. And so she, she knows that I eat fast because I'm in a hurry always. Yeah. 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 So it was, uh, and so I share that with a lot of people because I think a lot of people are trying to like, you know, I, I'm, I, I, everybody doesn't want to be staring at their phones. They know what that feels like when you're talking to somebody, but there's also some like blind spots still that people have with being present. And like when your five-year-old says something, you know how innocent it is. And so it was just something that like made me chuckle, but it made me like, it was a wake up call. Like, man, there's so much more than being present than just like what you think a five-year-old can see. They see everything. So it was just interesting when you talk about presence. Well, I mean, definitely putting the device away is like very, very helpful, you know, but you can still be lost in your own thoughts. I think the lesson that I heard there is like Roe is very present, right? Like how many people at a dinner could like walk away and be like, hey, who's eating fast? Who's eating slow? Like no one, right? They're like in their own thoughts or they're thinking about, you know, whatever. And I think like kids have a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of hints for us in terms of like, you know, do you ever hear like your kid ever just like pointed something out that's like, you just, you've looked past it a thousand times, you know? And so I think it's, I think you'll get way more out of doing that over time. And, and uh, I don't think you'll ever look back and regret a dinner that you sat down with, with Roe on, even if you, you ate fast. I think you're on the right track. Hey, so uh, one thing I do want to, hopefully this doesn't catch you off guard, but I think this would be an awesome like information for us to learn here. Um, what would you say is the most rewarding or heartwarming like family success story you've been a part of since you know, you've started uh, your business? I know there's probably a lot of them, so this is a hard one, but no, you know, no, this one. Yeah, I mean, there's, there is a lot of them. Um, we... We had a family with a number of young kids. And this just jumps out because so many, a lot of people are very focused on their kids, myself included. Like kids, it's all about the kids. Like I get it. Um, but when this particular person was going through their exercises, they were like, my, my grandfather's getting up there in age. And I just feel like I should have a better relationship with them. That role of grandson, we don't see a lot of grandson on the top roles chart. We see a lot of grand, grandparent, 
from our clients who are older and have grandkids. But we don't see a lot of grandsons on the list. And this particular person sort of like went through this exercise and talking with his wife and to the point about understanding what roles are important. He's like, I kind of just like feel like I should, you know, connect a little bit more with, with him and, you know, da da da. And his wife was really supportive of it. And then like over a period of time, he started just going to lunch with his grandfather on a regular basis. And, you know, that is one thing I know that he will never regret. You know, he's never going to look back in 30 years and be like, oh man, I really regret going to lunch with my grandfather before he passed away, right? No chance. And so I feel like that's an example of something super seemingly small that could have an amazing impact. In most of the families that we see, it's not like you do the values workshop and then like, you know, like, like your family changes overnight or something like that. Usually it's these like small, tiny decisions that people make after a discussion. It might be like you putting your phone away. We've had people decide to retire, you know, from our conversations. Like, I'm not really sure why I'm still working. Like, I like, and so we've had like people make decisions like that. Um, but I think we found our most like pride and success in the small changes that people have made because again, most families that we work with are wonderfully amazing, successful families. And they're just like looking for, you know, a small tweak here and there to feel like they're going in the right direction or something. And uh, so it doesn't always have to be this like aha moment. Sometimes it is, but I think we take a lot of pride in like the small changes. Yeah. You know, and one of the things I'm picking up on and just, you know, I think everybody's trying to be better in this area and I think everybody could get better, uh, you know, is prioritizing and, and it comes down to time. I mean, time is obviously, you know, I know it's generic and cheesy, but ch- time is our uh, greatest asset or biggest asset that we have. And uh, I have seen models where you look at your roles and then you can't, you schedule it. Like you want to be better in a role you schedule it. And I'm kind of like going back to that a little bit here, like even back to what you said, the grandson, you know, scheduling and, and I'm even in my head saying, Hey, I need to, you know, schedule more time with my close family members. I've got a really big family. Uh, so anyway, that, that, that's like the, the aha that I'm taking away just from this, like conversation, just in general is like, if it's important to you, if a person's important, you just got to make time for them, uh, and schedule it. So that's, um, yeah, that's that's something that just kind of keeps coming back as in these like examples that you're giving, at least for me, uh, as we're talking about this. The priority thing, like I think time is a hard one. Everyone feels like they don't have enough time. But maybe if you ask yourself, like, are there things that I'm prioritizing over some of these relationships that I shouldn't be? You might find that it's easier to remove some of the lower stuff. Like this is a very random example, but I stopped doing fantasy football like three years ago. Me too. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it's like I was doing it. I was like, this is dumb. I don't even know. I'm not even enjoying it. I most of the time forget to set my lineup or whatever. And so I just like cut it out. I don't totally know what I filled the time with, but I know that that was something that was like, almost no return for me, like a very low, but it was probably, I don't know, like 30 hours a year. I'm not really sure. Like, you know, between draft and catching up and setting your lineup and whatever, like who knows. But like, I think there might be some stuff for people that 
maybe that is lower priority that it, that you could just like get rid of. Um, there's things that maybe you're saying yes to that you're like, ah, I should, like, I shouldn't do this. Like, and you know it, even though that you're saying yes to it as you go. Um, and then I think the data on the importance of these relationships, just like the importance of physical health, it's like the data is there. You, you, if you want to look for really awesome data, look at the data of people who have connections and strong relationships in their life. It bleeds into everything else. So if you're not, most people are not like putting a ton of thought into their relationships in this way. So even just doing a little bit of it, you know, like taking that inventory once a year and then seeing if you're, it's better a year, a year later, like after a decade, you're going to have your relationships in like a really healthy place. And then you're going to feel that for the rest of your life by having these, you know, like you're just going to feel healthier and stronger and all that kind of stuff. So I think the data is there, but also maybe removing some of the stuff that is like, you're only doing it. You're like, I don't even know why I'm doing this. So fantasy was like the only example I could think of. Yeah. Now that's, uh, man, there's so much fast. There's so many fascinating things. I only have a couple questions. Uh, this is like flew by. I, I have so many more questions, uh, that I, I just barely put a dent in them. So I appreciate this has been amazing. Um, and this, again, this is a little self-serving question. And a lot of these questions I've just, you know, generating off of your questions. I'm not even like going into any of the stuff that I thought that I'd want to go into. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I'm dealing with, and I think maybe a lot of people are, you know, the, when your child goes off to college or moves out, you know, I, I think yeah, I've got, I feel like I got a good relationship with, with, uh, you know, with my son, for example, I went to college, but it also, once they're gone, it's different. And you have to figure out like, how do you, you know, keep a really healthy relationship without feeling like a nagging dad, you know what I mean? And so that, that that's what I'm trying to, I'm trying to balance like I, I want to give him proper guidance and instruction, but at the same time, he's like his own man per se, if you want to use that term in college, any advice, you know, and this is, this could go to keeping in touch with other people as well. This just happens to be an example I'm using when kids go off to school, any, any tools and stuff. And I know we've touched on some of this and advice on what feels and works best in keeping in touch with uh, a son that's off to college. Man, I like I can't even imagine my two boys uh, <laughs> going off to college right now. We our COO just sent her daughter to school for uh, the first time, and uh, was subsequently elected class president. By the way, uh, which is like so cool. Um, but I would say, just like any of the relationships with our with our friends, like your your phase of your you know that there's a really cool article in the Atlantic called the long phase of parenting. And all the attention goes on to like how to keep the kid alive for the first couple of years. And all that's obviously very important. And then how to raise the adolescent and how to deal through all these things. And then your kid turns like 23 and you're, and they're like, well, you know, good luck. But in actuality, like your son is going to be your son for the rest of his life and your life. Right. And so I think, and I think it transfers back to just a normal relationship where you're picking up the phone and you're calling and you're like, dude, just want to say I missed you. Like, what's going on? And like, he might tell you something really cool about, hey, you know, met someone really cool last night or have this test or I got something going on. Um, 
sending him a text, even if he doesn't respond to it, you know, don't, don't have your feelings get hurt. Just be like, you know, he saw it walk into class and it was like, Hey, just want to let you know, I love you. He's like, ah, oh, come on, dad. But he saw it and he felt it, you know? So I think like not keeping score and just when you have that downtime, you're in the car, you're, you know, about to do something, just like giving him a call and just letting him know that you're thinking about him and, and that you're connected with him. Like, I think that's going to ultimately make the times when you are together feel way more enjoyable because you're going to have like, you know, you're going to be loosely connected all the way through. And then when you get together, you can like, you know, you don't have to start back from negative four and figure out like everything that happened sort of thing. Um, but I don't think, you know, we're all like, come on, dad, like, you don't have to call me every day or, you know, like, I, like we felt that ourselves for our own parents or whatever. But I think for the most part, if you don't keep score and you just like send the love in whatever form you, you want to send it to him, I think that is like, like the best that you can do. And it's just going to keep it in a, you know, in a good, good place. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm going to start wrapping it up. I'm going to give you the last word, but uh, I'm going to start wrapping up. You've been listening to the Built on Purpose podcast with Max Hansen, brought to you by Scouts. You can find all of our past and present uh, podcasts at Wisecouts.com. Alex, also let us know where is the best place to get a hold of you? Like this has been an amazing conversation. I think it's a, a lot of people are going to value it. I want to, to finish with, you know, best places to get a hold of you, where to get started. And then also... I want to give you the last word just on anything that, you know, given all the conversation we've had, any kind of uh, advice or final words that you want to give the audience? I mean, just on the advice, I would say it's never too late. If you're, if this podcast made you think about someone who you, you know, could be lonely, you haven't reached out to, like, don't write the name down. Just when this podcast ends, just call them and just say, hey, I was just thinking about you. That's all you got to do. That's it. Like that, if you take that from it, Call that person that you're thinking about right now. You won't regret it. Our website is totalfamily.io. We're on like LinkedIn mostly because we're in the, the business community. So you can see like our writings in there. If you go to our site, you can sign up to work with us directly. You can subscribe to our newsletter. I think we're easy to find, but totalfamily.io. We just go by TFM, but totalfamily.io. Awesome. Thanks again for your time. This has been amazing. Thanks for listening to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. You can hear any of our previous shows 24-7 wherever you get your podcasts.